Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, socially distancing from Mike, as we record our last podcast session of the semester. Now, some of our listeners, if you're listening, might say, you're done with your semester already. Um, Mike and I have been trying to work ahead so that students have his materials to work at their own pace. <clears throat> so, uh, this will be for students the last recording of the semester, unless I have a video that I throw up that is, you know, details kind of for the semester. Um, but for class content, this will be the last one that we are uh, putting out there for ethics. There will be, I've got a ways to go in some other classes. <clears throat> but so this is COVID-19 online learning, PHI 201, philosophy 201, ethics. We're going to be talking about Dostoevsky's The Grand Inquisitor. <clears throat> which is uh, a poem, and the book we use for class includes some of the chapters uh, related to this poem that's from the much larger book. Mike has his copy of the much larger book here. How many pages in that bad boy, Mike? This is a paperback with small print, uh, 700. 700, yeah. And so what we're using... It's a Russian novel. <laughs> yeah, what we're using in class is 80. Um, and so it's just a section from the, the the larger novel, The Brothers K, or Karamazov. And this is a novel that was written by Fyodor Dostoevsky, who's, an, uh, I would say, a, a great author um, of international standing, but definitely one of the preeminent Russian novelists. I've been reading some Tolstoy. This is what I've been doing the last two I weeks. See, I need to read Tolstoy. I haven't you know, much. it's so if you could... Tolstoy is not as obvious and I don't think as deep as Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky is saying, you're going to think about this ethical situation. Tolstoy is like, just let me tell you a story. So um, having read this for the podcast and then I picked up some Tolstoy, I was kind of like, mm, a little disappointed. Yeah. Have you read any other Dostoevsky? Or? Crime the, and Punishment. Right, Crime good. and Punishment. Yeah. yeah. Idiot's really good. Yeah. Um, What'd you call me? <laughs> the uh, and and so Dostoevsky himself is an interesting figure. He is someone who had been caught up in some of the uh, political solutions that people viewed to the Russian situation. He had spent some time um, in Siberia, um, convicted for uh, his political affiliations, which were um, would have leaned towards socialism. Uh, I mean, I always hate saying just socialism because that's such a a huge, big picture thing. Um, but he will be exiled in Siberia from 1849 uh, to 1854. And it's important to remember, the czars were exiling people well before Stalin was. This was, right, Stalin just took it um, perhaps to the, to the next level. Um, so he had known suffering. Uh, he had a gambling addiction, so he kind of knew what that was like to struggle with something. Um, but he also had grown in his commitment to his Orthodox faith. He also wrestled with these questions of what is it to be Russian? Um, and so in the Brothers K, he has these brothers, and we're going to talk about Ivan and Alyosha, but he's got these uh, these brothers who are diff representations of what it is to be Russian. And so Ivan is kind of the political ideologue. 
he's going to see, you know, a grand socialist solution to the problems of, of Russia or the world. Alyosha is, wants to become a monk. Um, he's going to be the one who is deeply rooted in his uh, um, his uh, his Orthodox faith. And his father's faith, right? If I... <laughs> Right. Well, they're all trying to kind of come to terms with who their father is and how they relate. Yeah. And then Dimitri is the oldest son, and he is going to be the the sensualist. Um, and this also is somewhat in his father's um, tradition. Uh, he, uh, the father is kind of a grifter, maybe. I don't know if that's the best word for it. Um, he's not the most... Uh, committed to his sons um, and as kind of happens in those situations the sons are trying to figure out how they fit with him <clears throat> but this the Grand Inquisitor is this very fascinating uh, portion of the book and here we're incorporating some of the chapters that relate to it but um, the Grand Inquisitor itself is a poem or a story that Ivan is going to tell that he has this he has, and kind of this tradition of stories like this that Ivan has come up with this. And he, he calls it a poem, but it's a poem of prose. He's like, it's not really a poem. It's yeah. actually a story. Yeah. So it's not, this is not like reading the, the Iliad or something um, where there's a lot of rhyme. And and so the story he tells is, a, is kind of an interesting and odd story. Uh, I should say too, Dostoevsky was not a big fan of Roman Catholicism, and especially not of the Jesuits, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Jesuits did not have a very good reputation uh, in Russia, or I would say at this time, um, even in Europe, they were kind of seen as, uh, you know, the militant branch of Catholicism, the ends justifies the means sort of thing. And so he's going to place this story, this poem uh, in Seville uh, during, I don't know if we'd say the height of, but during the Spanish Inquisition. And he's going to have this grand inquisitor who's about 90 years old, who's carrying out the inquisition of the heretic are the heretics or the heathen in Spain. And right before this, Ivan tells this story that's, you know, um, I can't remember who originally tells this story, but Ivan recalls of, you know, the Virgin Mary, um, the mother of our Lord, gets a tour of hell and she sees the soul suffering. And so she goes back up to heaven and she <clears throat> says to God the Father, you know, we we should let them all out indiscriminately. And, and God kind of says, how would that be just? And she gets the the saints and the apostles to join in petitioning God for this. And so God comes up with, I think it's, is it from Easter to Pentecost? Or <clears throat> there's a a season of each church year where their sufferings will cease for a while. Um, and the souls in hell say, oh, that's so great. You're so just. Um, and Ivan's saying, see, I'm telling a story like this that's going to tell us something about humanity using religious themes. <clears throat> and so, um, Mike, you want to talk about it all, your impression of the poem or, or what you took away as its its main main points, or should I maybe first give a brief telling of it? Why don't you give a brief telling of it? <laughs> okay, so um, Jesus is up in heaven, and he doesn't want to come yet for his second coming, but he sees, you know, people are suffering, um, and, uh, you know, there's he's drawn by the same love that brought him down to heaven the first time. Uh, Jesus has appeared to different people since that time, you know, Paul of Damascus, but others as well, uh, in the Orthodox tradition, of course, to various saints. He decides he's going to kind of, uh, not on the down low because they'll recognize him, but this is not going to be his, like, final coming, last judgment. But he's going to, he decides to go to Seville, and he goes to Seville, and, and the people kind of immediately recognize him. 
He heals some people. He has a, a mother who's holding their child who's sick, and even echoing the Gospels, right? It says Talitha Kum, uh, you know, little girl get up and heals them. And in the midst of this, and, and people, uh, they're shouting Hosanna, um, I believe throwing flowers, I believe, Adam, if I, if I recall it correctly. Um, I read this two days ago, so I'm trying to keep it fresh in my head. Uh, but there, it's kind of like a Palm Sunday-ish feel. And uh, this nine-year-old Grand Inquisitor walks over and uh, has him arrested. And he tells him uh, in jail he's going to have him burnt as a heretic the next day. And he says, this is for the people's own good. Because he says, you came and you were all about freedom. Um, you wanted to set people free. But now we have come to where the church has been able... The church has been able to bring peace to earth because the people have come and laid their freedom at our feet, in essence, for what we might call security, right? To have stability, to have bread, and um, to not have to think too hard, to have to wrestle with, with freedom. And so, in essence, the Grand Inquisitor inquisits, if mm-hmm. I can create a word, um, Christ himself, and... Uh, and so the, the Grand Inquisitor f- says, for instance, Thou wouldst go into the world and art going with empty hands with some promise of freedom which men in their simplicity and their natural unruliness cannot even understand, which they fear and dread, for nothing has ever been more insupportable for a man in a human society than freedom. But seest thou these stones in, um, in this parched and barren wilderness? Turn them into bread, and mankind will run after thee like a flock of sheep, grateful and obedient, though forever trembling, lest thou withdraw thy hand and deny thy bread. And it makes sense that Ivan would tell this story when Ivan's politics are to have a grand political solution to give the people bread, right? Um, But a solution that he realizes will mean you need a strong government and the curtailing or eliminating of, of some freedoms. And so he sees a danger in Christ's freedom, and he sees people at their core not even wanting that freedom, that it's, it's too hard to live free. Um, they just want the bread or the simple answers. It's interesting. Now, Dostoevsky, some will say, was no fan of Luther. Um, and I think that's probably fair to say. I mean, in but this he, novel, he, he was that. reading Luther um, before he writes this, right? And here, and, and jump right in in just a second with that mic. Um, but uh, here he's going to, as he talks about freedom... There are some uh, clear, Luther, clear Lutheran themes that are going to come out uh, in that regard. And so um, while he's not a fan of Luther, I sometimes read this and go, Luther was maybe rubbing off more than we realize. Mike, I'm going to let you jump in with what well, you're going to say, and I'm going to quick go out and just uh, – the custodian was trying to get in and explain <laughs> what we're doing. Um, yeah, I don't can't remember exactly where I saw uh, – I think it was in this novel that he does say something – kind of disregarding uh, Luther and the Reformation, and I kind of got a sense that it was a little bit uh, anti, Luther was being anti-traditional maybe a little bit, um, and uh, what happens when you pull that rug out of the, uh, under the people, uh, what happens if you um, kind of just rebel? Wait, I don't know if this is truly accurate or not, but seeing Luther as just a rebel and trying to under 
uh, mine kind of tradition undermined. I, I, and, and I wonder this if that's problematic the core. For Dostoevsky, yeah. yeah, I wonder if that's at the core of his criticisms, which to me says because he doesn't want Russia to lose its soul, which is rooted in tradition. Yeah, and so Luther as Luther is a move forward, not a move deeper into and the to past. appreciate the Russian angst, which is. Are we East or are we West? Yeah. Are we European or are we Russian? Right? And to always look to the West and say, with yearning that they want this, right? Oh, we're going we're to speak French. We're going to have all the, you know, in the, in the end of the Tsarist Russia being, being trying to be very cosmopolitan, at least on, in certain, uh, right. certain places. But then also being able to look down your nose at those increasingly materialistic cosmopolitan Western Europeans, right? right? I mean, and you could see how many different ways you could go. You could see that this is fertile ground for Marxism. You could see that this is fertile ground for a pulling back. And, and, and even Marxism, right, or socialism, understand that for Dostoevsky too, right, that's coming from the West. Yeah. Right, even that would be... Now, he's drawn to it early on, but as he ages he would see even that as this kind of Jesuitical doctrinaire, yeah. you know, um, Western. I mean, he sees the, the Roman church as being so legal and rational. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he in the poem talks about there can be no more words from Jesus mm-hmm. because the Pope has spoken. It's authoritarian. Mm-hmm. It's um, And so Luther would be just as doctrinaire probably in his view. Um, and I think even socialism then as he sees it yeah and i I think i think you're onto something here when i think that this is sounds terribly to say this is how russians think but from the russian point of view up until today right there is a love-hate relationship with the west and and to look even something like putin aligning himself with the orthodox church as he as he has is in the same vein yeah and so to be at once critical and yet longing of that, you could see that with with maybe his struggle. Struggle with Luther is too big a, of a concept, but that's what we're kind of talking about. Did he really understand Luther or whatever? To look at that through the lens of East versus West, Orthodox versus Catholic, at the same time, man, you really get it. And the same way you can take a look at Marx and, and say, oh, this anti-capitalistic, whatever, yes, 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 but then say, well, this is actually Western. What is a Russian view? Look at this love-hate relationship with it. And and you mentioned the word legal, too. I mean, just the going back to Greek versus Latin, going back right. to the way you look at, at atonement, is it more a forensic thing or is it uh, is it something else? I mean, this is ingrained. It, this I've, I've, when my wife and I talk about traveling, um, we both like Western Europe and, and love to travel. And But there are times when she just wants to go to Cancun, which we've never been. And I'm like, I can't wait one day to go to Russia. Yeah. And she has no interest in doing that. I have no interest in going to Australia, but I have interest in going to Russia. And the reason is because it's such a fascinating people, because they're on that line of east to west. And I think you see that getting played out in the in this novel in particular uh with the struggle with like the inquisition and saying oh that's so just that's just so popish right but what do you replace it with something that could be even worse a just an eastern version of this 
right? I, I, I think that's that that to me is fascinating. Yeah, and so the the big question in here is going to become kind of freedom, and then the issue will be um, Ivan tells this story, and it just the story perplexes Alyosha, who's saying, "Well, you're you're reading this story all wrong, Ivan. Jesus is still the hero of this story." Um, for Ivan, kind of the grand inquisitor is, right? Because he's willing to transcend um, and to serve to keep order and to curtail the freedom for the people's own ability, um, <clears throat> for own benefit, because they just think they can handle freedom. And Alyosha saying, but Jesus loves even this inquisitor, right? And so at, when the inquisitor is going to convict Jesus, there's this whole, you know, rigmarole. Um, Jesus finally gives him a kiss, and that kiss kind of burned in an odd way on the, the grand inquisitor's cheek or whatever. Um, and so Ivan tells a story and in between or, um, before and after Ivan tells like some horrible stories too of children suffering and, um, and human suffering. And, uh, you know, Alyosha in all of these stories is very moved because he thinks of the people who are suffering and, and his temptation is, well, we should love those people. Um, but Ivan's is kind of this all encompassing, like ideological this is why we need this sweeping thing. <clears throat> and I think um, one of the reasons I like ending ethics with this, um, and students, you should read on the uh, Let the Bird Fly if you go to the blog section and put in Grand Inquisitor. There's a thing that I've written there on this <clears throat> that explains it more. Um, but is a reminder that when Christians do ethics, it's about our neighbor. And when you lose sight of your neighbor, then you're doing ethics wrong from a Christian perspective. Alyosha is moved by the people he hears about suffering. Ivan is moved by policy. And the suffering of people just becomes like when a State of the Union address is given and you have someone stand up and tell their story. It's nice to celebrate their story, but that politician is also using that story to push an agenda, right? Um, and so that person becomes a means to an end. And, and so Ivan is actually lost his neighbor in the midst of all of this. He's cognizant of suffering, but he's lost his neighbor. And so at the end, Alyosha goes up and he kisses Ivan on the cheek. And Ivan says, plagiarism, <clears throat> right? Because he had told this story already. Um, but Alyosha's point is, I love you, brother, mm -hmm. right? This is, you're being, you're putting yourself in the place of the Grand Inquisitor, but Christ loves you, right? You're losing sight of the, the big picture, um, and so where Alyosha, I think, becomes a helpful lens, or here Dostoevsky is right, um, into what Christianity is and how it looks at the world. Um, this is not to say that public policy is bad. We have to have public policies. This is not to say that we should, shouldn't seek political solutions to legitimate problems. and We shouldn't look at poverty as a nation and say, uh, that stinks. Yeah. Um, we should want to alleviate it. But at the same time, uh, that we not lose sight of our neighbor, and that we not become ideologues so that we really lose our own soul, right? Uh, which is, is what I think Dostoevsky is saying can help happen to Ivan, too. And so sometimes the the solution um, is Alyosha's solution, which is simply to say, I see you, and I I see those who are suffering, and I love them. And we, and we see this in our Lord himself when he came. He didn't advocate a single political policy, but he saw and he spoke of and he spoke to neighbor. 
and he commands his people, not necessarily um, what political affiliation they should take, you know, become a zealot or become uh, – there were, there were just as many movements you could join then, although it wasn't democratic political parties and platforms. Um, but he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, he goes above and beyond in what we should do. And I think this is very helpful. Um, and hopefully we've had a semester where we've been looking at grand schemes of thought of classic philosophers. And then we've wrestled with Luther's theological ap- uh, ethics, which are sometimes abstract, right? Concepts, because you have to talk about the abstract to get to the concrete. We've had bioethics. Um, and just as we wrap up to have that reminder um, that your neighbor is your neighbor. And as Luther said, justification is the presupposition for ethics. That means all ethics is neighbor-driven. Um, and so the, this scene of Alyosha kissing Ivan to me is just fantastic. I, I talked a lot there, Mike. I'll let you hit anything. Well, you mentioned about losing your soul. I wonder if you want to play on that a little bit. I wonder a part of losing your soul, it comes out with your inability to think for yourself a little bit. And I don't mean like think for yourself, like I'm just going to be a rebel without a cause, you know, like and a, I think a rebel. Your soul, se- we could say with that, losing your freedom. Even. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think we have right now a lot of rebels looking for a cause. Right. Um, and what gets lost in that is neighbor. I think we mentioned this before that everybody is, everybody has a cause. Everybody wants to point out who the victim is. Usually it's ourselves. And, what happens is I think it's tragedy upon tragedy because there are victims out there and now victims are being used for somebody else's self-justification, right? And uh, so I don't mean not thinking for yourself in the sense that you just get to be the rebel looking for a cause, right? I'm going to buck the system just to buck the system. I think that's, that is, uh, honestly, I can think the lowest possible political uh action. But what I mean is if you can get so wrapped up in one solution or get so wrapped up in maybe ideology, maybe something, I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. Say there's a pandemic and you know, lots of people are suffering, but you can only assess the pandemic according to one of two narratives provided through cable news networks. Right. And I, I think one of the symptoms of losing yourself, and that's what I think we mean by soul here, is that you And I think there may be, with soul, we could put freedom or your own yeah, autonomy, really. Your your inability to speak clearly and to think clearly. Yeah. And, uh, and to love clearly. Yeah, and I, I think that's... And so then it becomes hate versus hate. Who's out there actually loving? Well, the people that you're you're not calling heroes or victims. Right. And you have to diminish your neighbor in the name of supposedly helping them. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that's something I I wrestle a lot with younger generation coming up. My children coming up is that they lose their, they lose their selves by getting caught up in whatever it is. Right. And I think for us living in the go, go eighties, the warning was always don't, don't become too much of a, uh, commercialized person right you'll lose yourself you won't you just go with all the brands and every you know you won't don't think buy into the generation yeah. yeah but I, I think maybe it's even more dangerous now is because there's such a, a moral tinge to it all right that this is really who i am and who i think and what i think about right and wrong it's easy to go that person's that person is spoiled that person has been taken by capitalism and commercialism bad 
but now it's it's it's, it's there's such a, a moral concept to it. I think it's just really dangerous yeah. that you get you lost yourself in this outrage morality and you haven't really thought about it through ethically, right? And 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 then who gets lost? Neighbor gets lost because you're only looking at yourself and then the neighbor who actually is suffering, you are are using their suffering for your for your for your own self and for your own righteousness. Righteousness, and I think that's just so dangerous. Yeah, and I think um, <clears throat> Dostoevsky uh, has a, the Grand Inquisitor say in there, in the end they will lay their freedom at our feet and say to us, make us your slaves, but feed us. Um, and I think we talked about in bioethics about hope. Um, this betrays how easy even Christians can be tempted to have misplaced hope. So that we'll, we'll say, we lay our freedom at your feet, but feed us. And here even just, we hear freedom when we think political freedom, right? Bill of Rights stuff, which is good. I'm pro-Bill of Rights, Mikey, pro-Bill of Rights. I am. Um, but especially just the freedom that Christ has come to give you. And again and again, the New Testament warns, it's for be, for freedom you have been set free. Do not let yourself then again be put under another yoke of, of slavery. And, and I think... This is where I wonder if some of that Luther rubbed off on Dostoevsky and a little bit of the themes here is our temptation is again and again to go back into slavery because in some ways slavery seems safer. And that's why Luther, when he talks about loving your neighbor, we'll talk about new hit on this, Mike, I know. Um, you can venture all. Mm-hmm. It's scary to venture all for neighbor. Um, it is scary to just love. Um, it makes one vulnerable. We see that in, in the very cross of Jesus. Um but uh, but there's a real danger in um, uh, in losing that freedom, and it's it's a danger to my own salvation, and it's a danger to my my ability to serve others. And so I love that that Ivan becomes not only a problematic character in that he's telling the story and identifying with the Grand Inquisitor, but even Ivan becomes the object of love for Alyosha. Mm-hmm. So that when we are discoursing with, and, and all of us are sometimes Ivan. And hopefully, sometimes Alyosha. But hopefully, it's a reminder With a for us. The sprinkling of Dimitri. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of us more than others. Um, and, but hopefully, it's a reminder that in those times too, where where we're talking to someone who is clearly Ivan, and is clearly but willing to trade their freedom for slavery, um, that we not only get upset and disagree with them, but that we actually love them too, right? Uh, Sometimes now I've just gotten into the habit, mostly because of reading the Stoics, but I see friends getting all angry online and they're caught up in this narrative or in this platform or whatever. And it's rather than just being upset with that and going, why are you so dumb or whatever else, to actually stop and just pray for them. That's not a person of healthy mind. That's not a person who has in the forefront before them, the peace that is the forgiveness of sins. I'm not saying they're no longer a believer, um, but it's not a person who's fully enjoying the freedom that God has come to, to give us. And we know that because we've been Ivan at times, and we know that at those times we weren't fully enjoying the freedom and the peace that Christ came uh, to give us. And so the ethics course is built on discussion. It's built on weighing different issues, the research papers, right, looking at both sides of things. <clears throat> and to understand that in that that you not lose opposing viewpoints as neighbor, um, and in your ethical solutions or arguments, that you not lose the humanity of those 
that you're claiming to be motivated by, um, you know, to help. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, right no, now, I like think this. so. I mean, and, and I think it's it's just so fascinating that more and more these these older novels and these older philosophers really. We always say that, right? That history repeats itself in a certain sense, or we can learn something from the past. But in this transition from modernity to postmodernity, East and West crashing together in, in very real ways, um, boy, this is a lot of this stuff is just spot on, right? And really gets to what what we're dealing with uh, a religious, philosophical, psychological, sometimes crisis in our culture right now and more and more every day I think more and more about this that unless you understand justification and our desire to self-justify boy it's hard to understand human that the human person without without seeing at least through that lens and Dostoevsky right in his novels not just the brothers K but at other ones he gets that right a little bit and uh you know he he does speak about uh well I think he I can't remember what novel he said that didn't he say, uh, well, I think I used it in a quote in a writing that I was, I was, uh, working up that, uh, boy, I'm going to not get this right, but it is the desire of every man to justify himself. I mean, this is, this is who, who human beings are. Right. And so, uh, that's why I really, I really dig the Russian, Russian novelist. Yeah. It, um, well, all right. I'm not going to go on another tangent with that because <clears throat> I have to, Zoom with some students in five minutes. Um, but I will just say, uh, students, once again, go to letthebirdfly.com for the blog section, put in Grand Inquisitor. There's a very short writing on this that will be helpful for explaining it too. Um, hopefully this this is always the hardest one of the semester. Students will say, okay, so why did we read this? <clears throat> and then I have to explain why I had them read it. Uh, so hopefully this discussion has been helpful for you, Mike. I thank you for helping me. Um, Sorry, social niski. Um, it is the nature of a human being to seek a justification for his actions. Uh, so messed up. Sorry. Still a Russian though, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I do thank you, Mike, for joining me for these. I think the back and forth makes things a lot more helpful. I have had a number of students who have said um, that they enjoy the podcast sessions, especially more than some of the, the Zoom um, classroom type stuff uh, for the kind of feel that it has. So I thank you for joining me for those. Uh, students, don't hesitate to let me know if you have any questions. Do read that email about finishing out the semester. Um, be in touch if you have any work outstanding. Be uploading your notes as you do the readings and listen to these. And then otherwise, in general, in these uncertain times, uh, have hope, see your neighbor, be free, and let the bird fly. <laughs>